What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Castelli podcast provided to you by the people behind the brand and the iconic product innovations. I'm your host, Søren Jensen, Castelli marketing manager. And in this week's episode, or try the vision manager, Bernard Pleiner is joined by one of the world's top triathletes and road cyclists, Cameron Wolf from Tasmania. Cam is a truly remarkable athlete who has been a part of the Castelli family for several seasons now. Cam's sporting career is nothing short of extraordinary. Initially starting out as a rower, he reached the pinnacle of his athletic pursuits by representing his country in the men's double skull at the 2004 Athens Olympics. However, it was during his time as a rower that Cam discovered the integral role cycling played in his training regime, leading him to venture into the world of road racing where he competed for various teams until 2017, where Cam's path took an unexpected turn as he found himself captivated by the world of triathlon. Since then, he has left an indelible mark on the sport, achieving a remarkable success at the highest level. In fact, his talent and dedication caught the attention of one of the most dominating professional road cycling teams of the last decade, the British Team Ineos, back in 2020. He joined the ranks, skillfully balancing his active career between road cycling and triathlon. As we speak, Cam is preparing to take on the ultimate triathlon challenge of the year, the Ironman World Championships in Nice. Despite his busy training schedule, he kindly sat down with Bernard to chat about his amazing career and goals for this Sunday. So join us as we embark on this captivating journey with Cameron Wolf, where we'll discover his victories, hurdles and dreams that have shaped his amazing sporting career. If you have any questions you would like to have answered on the podcast, send us an email to podcast at castelli-cycling.com. You can also find a link in the show notes together with some of the other important links. Without further ado, here are Bernard Pliner and Cameron Wolf. Cam, mm -hmm. hello on our Castelli podcast. Thanks a lot for taking in time to talk to me today. Uh, it's a real pleasure having you on our, our Castelli podcast. Uh, I want to dive, since we are in Ironman Nice World Championships Race Week, I want to dive into the topic right away. So, not Kona this year, it's uh, Nice. What do you think about it? Well, it, it's amazing, isn't it? We started talking about doing this podcast in 2019, I think, or 20, maybe early 2020, before COVID. It's taken us four years or <laughs> three and a half years <laughs> to make it happen. Yeah, time is flying. So it's, it's, it's fantastic to finally get the chance to do it with you. But uh, yeah, we're not in Kona. That's another difference. <laughs> you know, we waited so long to go back and then we got to go once and now, now they've changed it. Obviously, like everyone, I, it's not Kona. So, you know, the, it's it's a... Nothing ever replaces Kona. You could call it the World Championships. You could call it whatever you like. It, Kona is Kona. It's like the, the Tour de France. So it's obviously different. You know, it is. It's more of a World Championship, I guess. You know, it, it really does feel like you're going to try and win the World Championship here in Nice. Whereas in Kona, you're just trying to win. You try to win Kona. The fact that it's the World Championship is, is sort of just, oh, yeah, okay, cool. You get that bit as well. But in reality, you're trying to become one of those those famous, you know, the famous ones that few that can win that race. So I think this genuinely just feels like a world championship, which, which you know, but more specifically than it does with Kona, which I think it means that it feels very important, obviously, and, and has been a huge motivating factor for me in my preparation um, for the event, you know, to try and become the world champion. Obviously, for me, in on paper, the course suits me better than, say, the course in Hawaii with the you know, very challenging bike course. I've uh, I probably had a few reality checks in the past couple of years with my opposition on the bike and have had to go away and work harder than I ever have worked before on that aspect as well. You know, you get a bit complacent, think you're good enough and you just work on the others. Well, you know, I've, uh, I've really tried to up my game on the bike and also at the same time tried to up my game in everything else. So um, I'm just as excited, I think, I think there's, I think genuinely, I, 
I feel there's a lot of people interested to see how go how I go. And to be honest, I'm quite interested to see how I'll go as well. I'm really excited to see where where the work uh, puts me. So yeah, it's fantastic to finally be here, and um, it's such a privilege to be you know able to you know fight for a world title. So uh, I'm excited to get get into that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, only a few days left until the gun goes off in in Nice. Uh, how has your training and preparation been lately? Yeah, the, everything's gone to plan, I guess. Um, as far as I can see, I set out, I guess, at the start of the year. That time for me, it's a very rough plan because, as we all know, you know, the first part of the year, I'm dedicated a bit more to the team and being on call and. And triathlon, I guess, is a bit of a, an art, a, a secondary thought at that point in the year. And, and then I also need to qualify. So I sort of just have to pull together what I can to, to sort of get that done. And, and then that sort of coincides the end of the spring coming into summer when, you know, in the team, all the guys are, you know, wanting to race. So, you know, there's not much of a requirement for me to be um, racing and traveling on the road with the team. So I can actually get knuckled down and, and, and get stuck into my training. And, and I can honestly say... You know, um, July, August, you know, and here we are in September. Um, you know, it's it's all gone exactly how I imagined it would. I've been able to do some sessions I didn't think I would be capable of. Um, and I've, uh, yeah, I've taken on some tough, tough, uh, I sort of wrote down, you know, I always wrote down some goals at the start of the year. And one thing I felt like I didn't do very well last year um, was I didn't embrace the sort of challenges, you know, novelties um, like Richie Port and I doing Everesting, for example, and, uh, you know, some of the silly runs I've done or, you know, swims I've done or different activities. And, um, you know, I've, I've tried to... Uh, Roubaix was a good example early in the year. I thought, right, if I do Roubaix, then I want to go for a run afterwards, you know. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was cool. Um, uh, I was able to do another another Everesting type um, uh, challenge in in Andorra recently at my home. I sort of mapped out a a route where I basically did all the major climbs in Andorra. I, I had no real idea how far it'd be or the amount of climbing it was. I knew it would be over the Everesting, but uh, yeah, it was ended up being nearly ten thousand meters, so quite a bit over, um, and nearly three hundred kilometers. So I feel that when I'm wanting to do stuff like that that means not only uh, physically am I in a good spot but the biggest challenge with things like that is usually mentally and um, it shows that I really want to train I really want to push myself and um, still want to keep improving and uh, I'm excited to see where that puts me in the race on uh, on Sunday interesting looking forward to that you have talked about that you have changed um, the approach of the season a little bit so usually you you've been racing bikes and also triathlon throughout the year basically but this year you scheduled your year a little bit differently with basically a break after your last ironman in in it was actually nice the ironman nice was your last race yeah. so from nice to nice yep. so mm -hmm. is this is there a, a deeper thought behind or was it just because you you felt you needed a little bit more training in running and swimming Or what was, have there been different reasons for that? The last couple of years is what I've learned is the respect. You know, you got to respect the sport. You know, both sports <laughs> they're both very hard, and if you want to do them properly, um, I needed to sort of, um, I guess, uh, you know, periodize things a little bit better. Um, and so the first part of the year, I basically thought, well, I think I can dedicate myself to being available for the team. You know, doing my role for the team, um, and obviously, I feel like I can still maintain the swimming and running enough, you know, at a level enough to qualify for, you know, for the world championships. Now, I obviously missed out in Lanzarote. I got that a bit wrong, um, but I was able to rectify that quite quickly at the next race in Austria. Um, and then, obviously, Nice was the weekend after. And um, as you know, I, you know, travelled. I like to travel to the races with the family and, you know, driving around Europe's, you know, I enjoy doing that and we load up. So we'd driven to Austria. We had to drive back past the East to get home. And um, I thought, well, gosh, I've already qualified for, for, for the World Championships. What a great opportunity to see the course. You know, I've 
originally I planned to ride the course maybe on the Wednesday or the Thursday and then obviously once I got there I kind of felt a bit foolish not racing on the Sunday um, and so yeah we agreed that that was going to be you know if, I mean as you know when we think back to 1819 I did something similar I would do Nice and then normally the weekend after I do Roth and often Roth would be my better performance um, but on that occasion Nice was always a pretty average performance because uh, yeah I'd, I'd do that sort of more as training and it's a very hard race whereas this time I kind of did it around the other way. I did my sort of good race in Austria and I was pretty exhausted and then I had to go to an even harder race and try to, <laughs> and try to get through Nice. So basically the compromise with, you know, with, my, with the team, you know, with the coaching staff was that, okay, if you're going to do something as crazy as this, you know, then you've got to take a week off after that. So that was really where the, the force break came into it was just, respecting that you know it have been a it's been a busy first part of the year with a lot of travel you know magic managing a lot of things um to qualify has become harder you know the standard of the sport is much harder so i've had to you know work work harder than probably expected to just achieve that off you know less prep you know minimal preparation i've really had to sort of dig into the well of experience and um and years of uh conditioning to be able to get that get that park ticked off and it was important just to respect that, respect how hard that had been on my body and, and go and have a bit of a holiday. And uh, we chose Greece because uh, I couldn't take my bike. It was just a really nice period to switch off. And, and if I'm honest, Fallon and I haven't really done that since, um, you know, really since, gosh, pre-COVID, you know, because sort of the way that sort of came around and every year since then has kind of rolled into another one. Is Kona going to happen? No, okay, chase something else. Kona going to happen again? No, okay, well, you know, chase something else. And then all of a sudden, we were finally in Kona. That didn't go well. So, of course, I was desperate to sort of, you know, get get back to work as quickly as possible to sort of improve. Yeah, it was it was nice to finally take a, a proper break and, and just switch off for a week. And, um, yeah, I've, I've come back all guns blazing and my body feels fantastic. I don't recommend resting too much, but obviously every now and then it's a, it's a, it's a good... Uh, it's probably a good idea, and I think um, after doing back-to-back Ironmans, which I think I did both of them at a reasonably high level, I think it's probably a good idea to give yourself, you know, at least a week off. <laughs> now I think it's it's important to take those breaks once in a while, and you know that you also mentally you you recover, you you give your body the time to recover, also spending time with your family, and then refocus on the on the next goals and uh, the. Mm. Give hundred percent for for the goals ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a big thing. Is and I'd never really thought about it before, but we are with Wyatt, our little boy, growing up. He's three now and wanting to do more things. Um, yeah, you, the reality is, you have this is a job, and I have to go to work and I have to train all day. And sometimes when I come home, I can't just drop everything and go and play. You know, I'm a bit exhausted. I need to eat or drink or have a massage or stretch or whatever. It was really nice to go and give that time, feel more comfortable when I am training to be able to say to him, "Listen, mate, sorry, Dad's, you know, I've got to, I've got to go train." And it's, you know, he he gets it. You know, it's it's also been fascinating to see how he has understood that. He understands, like, okay, you know, when Dad's not training or we're on a holiday, yeah, he's there or days off or whatever. But when I'm training, he never doesn't guilt me or anything. You know, <laughs> Dad, please stay home or. Can't you just kick the ball a little longer or anything? I mean, he's uh, he's really an amazing support, and obviously, you know, Fallon, my wife, she's <laughs> dealt with that for many, many years now. So, um, and then of course Olive, the dog, who's you know obviously very famous in the sport. She yeah. was in Greece too, so um, uh, she enjoyed it there. She she roamed around like a like a wild, like a stray cat for the week. No leash, just roamed around this little fishing village where we were staying, and you'd find her in the water every now and then. And, yeah, so um, everyone had a great time, but yeah, it, it did. It, it meant when we came home, it was almost like everyone knew, okay, now I've got to knuckle down and really, you know, prepare like I've never prepared before and uh, and, and be ready for for the World Championship because, as I said in the beginning, yeah, it's not Kona, but it is. It's a World Championship and it's the sort of thing that gives you goosebumps thinking about it and, and uh, you know, gets you out of bed every day to give it everything you got in your preparation, so. Yeah. Mm. Now coming back a little bit to the race on Sunday, 
do you have exact knowledge if it's exactly the same course in most of most parts, especially on the bike, than you've been racing in June, or is it uh, different in in some areas? Uh, yeah, no, it's identical. Um, yeah. Well, identical as as I think people know from the Strava data, that course was about 10 kilometers short. So they have changed it from the old Nice, the one that you know Frederick Van Leer dominated for. <coughs> But your some years felt like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was slightly different to that that course was around the same distance I think that was low 170 kilometers but had a couple of out and backs during that as well so instead of those out and backs like there was an out and back on that first long climb that we used to do that's all, all of a sudden gone there was also a, an out and back towards the top of the cold vance that was gone and another one somewhere else on the course they're all gone. The loop, there's a loop, you know, the loop up on top of the ridge, like once you get up on the plateau, is much bigger. Um, it's added in a couple of extra smaller climbs uh, that are like between three and five K long, not super steep, but um, yeah, challenging. So it's actually more up and down than it was before. Um, and then to get the distance, they have added a 10 kilometer out and back um, yeah, but just on the flat, you know, it's yeah. basically just a token to make it 180k um, at some point. So, but the 170k that we did in Nice in uh, June, I mean, it's a beautiful course. It's, it's very, it's very challenging. You know, it's even where the downhills until really the well, even that last big long downhill. I mean, from everyone. I guess there's not ever been a lot of coverage of the racing, the Ironman, but the 70.3 worlds did the same descent. And you you saw, I mean, it's a it's a pedaling descent. You know, if you've got if you've got some fuel in the tank, you can really make a difference on that descent. If you're tired and using it as a as a recovery, like I was in these, because <laughs> I I really fortunately i didn't hit the wall until the the climb just before that i really blew up the last kilometer of the last climb like i was just i was just out of gas so i had to use that downhill to just try and get something back together so that i could survive the run it was really good for me to do that because i although i wasn't pushing it on that descent i was able to sort of spot that this is an opportunity to actually really make a difference um, if you do manage to manage your manage your effort really well, um, you can go quite fast fast down there. So um, yeah, that was invaluable experience for me getting to see the course, you know, under race conditions um, yeah. and and the race fatigue uh, feeling, um, knowing that that amount of climbing can really catch up with you if you get it wrong. So um, you definitely need to respect the course. <laughs> Did you learn also anything uh, uh, like maybe race dynamics or what what could be a good spot where you really could maybe some some smaller hills where you can uh, still uh, push a big gear over, over a small bump or is this something what you you can't really remember memorize uh, for uh, from June to to September? The climbing part's the obvious one. It's yeah. it's as I just said. It's um, knowing those ex other bits that you just mentioned, like the descent, you know, after the climbs, those, the opportunities, I guess, where people are looking to recover, take a breather, you know, take a rest. I think they're the, they're the parts that I've analyzed the most as, as opportunities to, to make the biggest difference. I've, of course, I'll, I'll, you know, back myself to try and be the strongest on the climb like I was in, like I was in June, which surprised me because Clement Mignon, He's known as well. What did uh, Leon Chevalier? He told me they they, they say he's the uh, vinegar of triathlon apparently for climbing. So, yeah. and I rode away from him pretty comfortably on the climb. He obviously went on to win the race, so he was obviously um, you know sticking to his plan, etc. But um, that certainly gave me some because I I was certainly well within myself as well. Um, but it gave me a lot of confidence that I'm at that you know a pretty high level. I think when it comes to climbing in the sport, and Christian Hogenhag as well. I mean, he's a very strong, very strong guy. I raced him in um, in uh, Mallorca as you a couple of years ago, and I couldn't get away from him on the climb. So it showed that I've probably improved quite a bit, especially considering the amount of fatigue I'd had <laughs> from from seven six days earlier. Um, but um, yeah, as I said, it's those other bits when early on in the race where I did have the 
the punch where I made the biggest difference on those guys. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was a really good, uh, really good experience, and I'm and I'm certainly glad I did it. And um, and the key that day was to make sure that I rode a good, consistent race, so we could get some good relevant data to be able to put together a good plan um, to capitalize as much as possible on the course. But obviously, like anything, I got to get through the swim first. So that's, that's <laughs> the, I'm more worried about that than what I need to do on the bike, to be honest. If I swim well, everything seems to work out okay. So that's the first, the first priority. Yeah, I think we have a high chance that it will be a wetsuit legal swim. So that will definitely be... Well, What? yeah, you never know, do you? No. I mean, um, that was, uh, it wasn't in June, but I swam front pack and it was bizarre because, as you know, like from Austria the week before with Lukash there, I mean, he just, he's like a shark, but, and it was fresh water. And I remember the first part of the swim, because obviously my swims improved, you know, I think quite a bit because I'm now consistently making that, you know, upper front, you know, the, the front group. Um, you know, pack swims and in the fresh water, right? Because we were sort of staying attached to him all the way up to the first buoy. I mean, it was obviously well stretched, but I was really on the limit. And luckily at the buoy, of course, his experience, he got away and things sort of calmed down a bit. But I was really sort of struggling to stay in that front group on the, in the swim there in Austria or, you know, certainly working hard. Whereas in Nice, without a wetsuit, I actually felt more comfortable. Um, I mean, I think because the water's so much more buoyant, yeah. you know, it's so much salty compared to a freshwater swim. Um, but just being, uh, you know, now having a better technique, having the ability to use my kick uh, more effectively, um, I actually feel quite comfortable in the swim skin. So it's the first time ever that I really don't care what the difference will be. It was interesting speaking to Sam Laidlow in uh, Lanzarote, and, and he said he was hoping for a wetsuit swim because he, he felt like they he can get a better advantage in a wetsuit. Whereas, you know, previous, you know, he said like in Kona, you know, he was really shocked to see Gustav and Christian, obviously, still in the front group. Um, whereas in, um, in St. George, they didn't have any trouble dropping Christian. So obviously, I think that was, you know, I mean, that might have been reading a bit too much into where Christian's form was at at that point, as far as his swim goes. But um, it is interesting now that, you know, it's always in the past the top swimmers have said, oh, we want non-wetsuit. Whereas now, I think it could even be the wetsuit technology is a bit different. So if they are able to break that elastic, and so, uh, yeah, I don't really know what to hope for. I used to wish for a wetsuit swim, but yeah, but to be honest, I just don't even really care. I believe that confidence can really be an extra motivation for you, that you don't have to be afraid of anyone on Sunday. I certainly don't want it to come across as arrogance, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a course and, and I guess also in my preparation, you know, I mean, as I said, I've done the training I've wanted to do and in the past when I've been able to do that in, in the blocks, you know, it's, it's one thing earlier in the year before, you know, Lanzarote or Austria, I mean, every, I love I love Strava, everyone knows that. I love putting my training on there. I love that people follow that. I, I really love that people feel a part of what I'm doing. I mean, I know I know you keep an eye on my Strava. It's funny seeing comments from people who, you know, oh, Cameron, are you doing this session this time? Oh, yes, great, you're doing that. That means you're in good, you know. Like, I seem to have all these experts that are, are pseudo-coaches that um, yeah. sort of um, comment and, and keep me in check. It's, it's actually something I really appreciate. So just being able to do those, you know, in the first part of the year, it's hard for me to do one week of training, let alone do two or three or four, you know. Whereas this last few months, I've been able to do, you know, blocks of three weeks, but multiple, you know, three or four of them. And um, and that's, I mean, that's when you see the big improvements, when you just get week on week on week and then block on block on block. You know, that's that's where you really build that You know, Christian Hoggenhag said to me in Nice, you know, he said, far out, like, you, you you just look so comfortable and you're obviously struggling at the back end of the marathons when you race. But he said, that's, it's not that you don't you have the speed or anything because you put yourself in that position. It's just the fatigue resistance. And um, I really appreciated him because I felt that. I felt that it wasn't probably so much the lack of running that was, uh, was ruining the end of my Ironman, but it was the fact that, I didn't have the conditioning, so the bike was taking a lot more out of me than it usually would. And then I wasn't able to sort of execute a decent run. Whereas obviously now I've had the time to do those weeks of training. 
um, get that conditioning and um, be a lot more confident that I can finish off the race. Whom do you have on, on the top of your list for, for race day? What, what do you expect from, from the dedicated favorites or all the, what we've seen lately in all the YouTube videos and Instagram, social media? There's a lot of uh, coverage and also content going around how good they are and then expectations and as the stamp as the favorite. So it's, it's the usual game, I guess, before the World Championships. Yeah, it, honestly, it is, it's so different to Kona. I mean, Kona is so much of a, I don't know, a triathlon. Uh, you yeah. know, it's much more predictable who's going to be up there. We always know, you know, I mean, we always know like the five-star favorites and then There's someone like myself that if things go the right way, it might work out. Or a Lionel, where if things go a certain way, you know, he might be there. It's And, and it really never varies too much from that. I mean, whereas this course, we have no idea. Like, obviously, Clement Mignon, you, you can't ignore him. I mean, he won in Nice. Um, he seems to be very consistent, top performer. You know, whatever he targets, he does well at. I mean, he was top 10 in Kona last year. Um, so he knows how to perform when the shines, when the lights shine the brightest. Um, Max Newman, Magnus Ditlev, you know, but but then Mag Magnus, I guess, is a bit of an unknown just because of his size. I mean, yeah, he's got incredible power, but you know, it's still physics. <laughs> you still yeah. got to you still got to cut that up there, and it's not even not that he's not well and truly strong enough. Same with Sam Laidlow to get up the climbs. It's um, what does that do to them later on in the race, you know, in the run? So. Um, There's just so many unknowns in this field. Braden Curry, a small guy, Bradley Weiss, you know, who you look at them and you would imagine, well, okay, you guys are great climbers. Honestly, it's just so, so wide open. I, I, I really don't think anyone stands out. I, I, you know, personally, and I think that's probably what gives me so much belief because I feel like I'm in the melting pot of one of the guys that, you know, could potentially be one of those guys. Like, I think that's what we've got this year. It's just such... Such an unknown with the with the with the bike course, you know, compared to um, a race like Kona. So, yeah, yeah, that would also be my expectations that there's not really a dedicated favorite, or uh, it's it's hard to 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 say that before the race, since this is a, a completely different death of of the field, uh, since it's a World Championship race. So, yeah, it's really interesting to see what happens on Sunday. Do you have a, a dark horse, what probably nobody is talking about, or is flying a little bit under under the radar at the moment? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no, I mean, I respect it. In this field, everyone, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, obviously, um, the guys that beat me in Lanzarote, uh, you know, Arthur Hosu, I'm not sure yeah. exactly how to pronounce his name, but, you know, he can obviously handle a, a, a pretty high intensity on the bike. I mean, he obviously gave me a big lead, but he's finished with a 238 marathon. So, but when I say a big lead, he only lost 10, 12 minutes. So, you know, if even if I've got that and then I falter in the run, you know, and running 248, he's still in the race. Um And same with Nick. Uh, I'm not sure what Nick's last name is. Lovely young guy. His dad was a pro. He was second. Also ran low 240s. And I only lost, uh, gave, took six or eight minutes out of him on the bike. So I'm sure they've improved. You know, of course they have. They've, they've, they've trained since then and improved. I, they, I'd have to say those two, are, 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 you know. But you cannot ignore anyone in this field. I mean, I look how hard it was for me to qualify. You know, I had... Um, Granted that qualifying, I think, was probably, uh, you know, a big, bigger hurdle because of my circumstances. But um, still, it just shows the level of the sport where it's at. And uh, and and everyone now, you know, I don't think the highest level, the top end, the level has changed so much. You know, you obviously get Jan doing his last race, etc. Not, not that I'm ignoring him at all. He's obviously, any race he starts is a chance of, of, of winning. Um, but... The top, and I reference him because I'm talking about the top, top end. I don't think it has changed. I think on his best day, you know, Christian's best day, I guess, of course, Magnus. You can't ignore him, you know, take him out of that conversation now. Gustav, they are still the benchmark, um, which I don't think has really changed a huge amount. I know we've had difference in times, but there's so many dynamics with that that, we, we, you know, it's a bit hard to, to say the, the actual, because I think those same people are still at the top. 
But the the depth now, you know, from five back to 50, it's almost like everyone could beat each other on their right day. You know, you've got those sort of five-star guys that stand out, um, that if they get it perfectly right, you, you know, it's almost, I don't think anyone can beat them. Max Newman, you know, is obviously in that borderline category as well. But then you've got another 50 guys that, could beat each other on any different day. You know, if they race 50 times, there'd be 50 different results. And and I think that's the exciting part of the sport is the depth of that next level, and um, which obviously is continually pushing pushing the top end. So I wouldn't say I have any specific dark horses. I just think you can't write off anyone in the field. <laughs> and obviously <laughs> until it looks like it's mathematically impossible for them to, you know, come back from a deficit or whatever they're at in the race. Coming back to your explanation of the race characteristics, especially on the bike course, is there? I guess there's no doubt that I would say all the pros are racing on on their tri bike, and no one is opting for a, for a road bike like some of them did for the 2019 70.3 worlds. But this was a different course, yeah. different. Uh, did you hear something, or what's what's your expectations uh, on bike choices? Yeah, I mean, Gustav obviously. Um, raced on a road bike and won that race. That was different in that, as you know, it was basic. There was very little flat. You know, yeah. there was just basically was getting just to the up climb. And down. They climbed. Yeah. I mean, that was obviously something I looked at and why I wanted to race the way I did with pretty much the setup. I mean, like the disc wheel, for example, that was, you know, I think maybe even you were there in 2018. Obviously, Frederick had won that that day. I broke, the, set the bike course record that day. I was on the old time trial bike, the Bolide, the rim brake one still, and I used a low profile front and back wheel. So that would have been what I would have thought. But obviously, Princeton, you know, with technology, they've now developed a disc wheel that is a, as in a full disc, which is light as light as a normal road wheel. And I use that and that, I mean, that felt, I use it in Lanzarote as well. So I've I've tested that on a climbing course and it was it was really, really good. And then the benefits you get elsewhere, obviously it was also quite windy that day. So, you know, you get the benefits from, from the disc with the breeze when you get it at the right yaw angles, etc. That was really good. And then obviously, yeah, rode the triathlon bike. Um, now, yeah, we did look at, say, using the team time trial bike, uh, which is UCI legal. Um, but... The Pinarello did an incredible job with my bike. I mean, it's almost ahead of its, still ahead of its time. It's the same weight as the UCI legal bike, even though there's, um, you know, it's it's a little bit more aerodynamic, etc. I've got the storage, you know, the food and everything. So, in the end, the the difference was what am I most comfortable on? And of course, I've spent now, you know, four years on that bike. So. I'm very, very comfortable on that bike, climbing and descending. Living here in Andorra, you got no choice. I mean, if I want to train on the bike, unless I want to put it in my truck and drive it down to Spain every time I want to ride it, I've got no choice but to do some descending and some climbing. So um, for me, the, the choice was pretty simple. A, a pretty close to standard time trial, you know, standard Ironman sort of setup. Um, the only difference being is the front wheel, and I still haven't decided on that. Um, I won't. It won't be super deep. It'll be. It's, it's sort of a 60 mil or a, or a 40 40 mil, and it was very windy in June. Um, so just obviously watching the forecast, um, and it windy enough. And I had a 70 that day, which was way too big, but that was very windy. And so even a 60 isn't a lot different to a 70. So it will be. It'll be. A, it'll be a call we'll have to make. Obviously Saturday afternoon when I've got to put the bike in. Um, but yeah, that's the only uh, only little piece that is a bit dubious for me to decide at the moment. And, I'm, and I'd be very surprised if everyone didn't have a, a similar setup. Race kit-wise, I guess you will be wearing the PR2 speed suit. So that's a suit we've been developing together with you for the last almost two years. So this was kind of a, a longer-term project together with you. You've been testing some iterations in some races in the past. So can you say something about that? What? How are you feeling about that? How do you feel about having basically your setup from top to toe uh, dialed in for race day? Yeah, I mean, well, in reality, we've worked on it since 2018 and, and just evolved it. You know, I think that year we probably proved the package was pretty exceptional you know, when we went to Kona. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Obviously, it's just been a case of 
you know, continuing to upgrade it because obviously others, you know, other other brands and everything have, have tried to catch up. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it's it's always. I always say to you guys when we talk about testing and, and data and different things, I just trust you. You know, I, I know that uh, for all for always, you know, Castelli's been at the forefront of this stuff, and obviously we've been at the wind tunnel and, and done the you know occasionally with me personally to to run through some different things. Yeah, uh, that's really nice and not wanting to uh, I don't know suck up or anything, but it, it is certainly nice working with partners where I just don't have to worry. I just put the suit on and I know I'm. Uh, I'm at worst case, uh, definitely not disadvantaged in any way, shape, or form. But to be honest, I always feel like I've got a bit of an advantage on everyone with uh, <laughs> with the package <laughs> that I've got on my body. And um, and obviously, the suit is the biggest one. You know, I mean, that's the biggest um, performance gain you can really make as far as aerodynamics, having one that fits properly and the right materials and everything. So um, having the peace of mind, you know, with the suit. And the fact that we have made those changes over the years only, you know, reinforces that to me because obviously we've always felt like we've had great performances and, and the suits never let me down and the speed's been great for the, you know, the amount of power and effort I've put in, etc. So um, the fact that we've continued to involve, evolve it, yeah, just uh, gives me great confidence that uh, I've, I've got the best suit out there on uh, for Sunday. Now this is also exciting and uh, good to hear from and see Uh, from our end that that you are passionate about being involved in the process and also I haven't I have I stopped counting all the bike course records you set in the last couple of years <laughs> and all the all the different races you did I think this is the the suit that that uh, thanks to you has uh, holes not still but some are some got broken like in Hawaii but you, you mm. I think you still own quite some records uh, all around the world Yeah, it's pretty uncommon that I don't have one when I've been to a race. Yeah, yeah. obviously, current going is still a bit of a head scratch. Well, just disappointing, you know. I didn't have the day that uh, I would have liked. But um, yeah, it, we'll get to go back next year, and who knows? Obviously, with that, it's, it's, I'm a bit torn on that because obviously, I'd prefer to win the race and have the bike course record again. And I guess to win the race, I probably need a traditional. Well, tradition's been what we've had incredibly quiet conditions really every time I've gone you know 2017 there was obviously a bit of wind but um, since then it's just been incredibly quiet and I guess if we do get wind then there's a chance that that record that Sam set probably won't be broken for a very very long time yeah. um, but that's all right yeah you know if I don't get that and I get the winners uh, my name on the winners roll there then that'd be a decent compromise <laughs> wrapping up the Nice topic uh, about Sunday. Uh, going a little bit into all the hundreds or almost thousands of age groupers out there on the course as well. Do you have, if you would have one tip for for them, what would it be from from your end? You knowing your experience in racing in general, and also you experience the course, the conditions. What would be your your number one tip to all of them? My number one tip would be stay within yourself you know on the bike in that first you know at least the first big climb get through that feeling good and um and if you feel really good there then maybe you know maybe push a little bit more than you were planning but this course will creep up on you as i said it caught me out in june i i really completely went lights out on that last the last main climb before you you started the big descent And um, and that was still with 50k almost to go. You know, okay, it's downhill, but it's you got to pedal down that hill. It's not like you get a free ride to the finish. So just manage your effort. You know, stick to your stick to your plan. Um, that first climb is not the time to empty the tank. Um, get over the climb. You know, eat and drink. Get in a really comfortable position. You know, you're going to be a cup. You know, well maybe a few hours in at that point, and then. Uh, If you're feeling really good, think about um, you know pushing a bit more. But yeah, respect the course because uh, it's not only a long bike ride, but you've still got to then run a marathon. So um, that would be my best bit of advice. No thanks. I think that will help a lot of them to to pace themselves right and maybe not walking too much on the run later on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to touch uh, into the topic of being 
a, a multi-sport athlete. So you have a background. Uh, your your pro career started as a rower. Then you became a, a pro cyclist, then a triathlete, and now you are balancing ba basically two sports like cycling and triathlon. How did you manage all that? How, how did you find a way to to be always motivated also as a, at a, with, with all the respect with uh, the higher age? Some of, some of your competitors, they long retired. Some, some are on road racers or also triathletes. When they enter their early 30s, they're already thinking about retirement or what they do after their pro career. How do you manage all that? You said before, private life, family, everything. So it's, it's, a, it's mm. the whole life balance, I think, is, is, uh, you really have to be uh, good at that. Yeah, I think I think the big thing is, and and with with Nike particularly, we talked a lot about this because they're probably one of my, you know, obviously the team as well. No one allows me to think about my age, you know, being 40 all of a sudden, and then uh, you know we're still trying to figure out how I can improve. I think I have never, until recently, done things as well as I could have. You know, I've often just put things, oh, I'll do that later, I'll do that later, I'll do it, and. And then as I've got older, I'm like, okay, I better start doing that. And that, that has helped me. Okay. I think, I think in, if I'm blatantly honest, maybe I'll never ever reach the absolute pinnacle of what I was capable of. Maybe my age will prevent me from that. But I still believe from the level I'm at now, I can continue to improve because there's so many things. I mean, I was with Nike in uh, London recently and we we're just doing some basic walking drills and different mobility. I mean, and I was completely useless. So all of a sudden, once I started to learn how to just move and some hip mobility and how my foot strikes the ground, and all of a sudden, you know, at the track, I'm going, you know, over a kilometer doing the efforts, you know, five, six, seven seconds quicker at the same cadence and the same heart rate. Like it was insane. I mean, so there's, and swimming obviously is another one. I mean, that's another discipline that I'll just get better at from doing more of it because I didn't do it for the last 30 years i've done it for the last four or five or five years five six years and um so yeah i think that's that's important from in to me to distinguish i'm not saying i think i'm going to hit, hit my athletic peak you know uh, the best i could ever be you know somewhere in my mid 40s i think maybe yeah that was the, the opportunity to do that was back in your your late 20s to early 30s like everyone else but because i probably didn't take the capitalize on that period and do everything properly and make all the sacrifices required um i've i've got all those things up my sleeve to still continue to improve you know into my 40s and um and nike have you know they've been probably the biggest ones that have done some research and sort of discussed it with me and they it's it's mentally is the biggest thing as long as you want to do it your body is capable it's just that If you've done something for so many years, of course, by the time you get to 30, you're over it. I mean, you've done it for probably 20 years at the highest level and you're just sick of it. You know, I, I change sports all the time. I change the way I'm doing the sport all the time. So mentally, I'm I'm always excited about improving in some way, shape or form. And that sort of is what has meant age so far hasn't seemed to um to hinder my progress um and obviously you know uh, tom brady the american footballer we share the same birthday so you know he always talked about 45 i've sort of put that number i know that 100 it's not going past 45 but whether it's another year or another two years or it is up in fact another six years five six years well we'll see um and i'm excited to see that and it's It's, um, yeah, I guess uh, I'd prefer to have five extra years now of absolutely reaming myself and being the best athlete I can possibly be if I can stay at the highest level doing everything absolutely perfectly and then maybe lose five years at the end of my life because I've done that, you know, when you're pretty incapable and incompetent and a burden on everyone else, you know. <laughs> If it means I die at 90 instead of 95, I don't really mind. <laughs> so I'd prefer to have five more years of traveling the world, racing the best athletes in the world, trying to beat them, trying to set records, trying to set a new standard in the sport, trying to do all that. And as far as through every sport, yeah, I think it comes from such a young age. You know, I grew up in small places. I grew up on a small island with Tim Reed, who sort of people know about that, Lord Howe Island, 30 school kids. So, you know, in sport, you're... 
you're obviously one of the best in the class. And then <laughs> if you're not, it's pretty hard not to be when there's only a few of you to beat. And then you, you move to Tasmania where it's slightly bigger, but it's still a pretty small place in reality. You know, and you, you do quite well. You're always at the top end of everything. And then you take that mentality onto a national stage. And of course, you're from Tassie. So we've always got a bit of a chip on our shoulder about beating the biggest states, you know, New South Wales and Queensland, Victoria. So, you know, you're all of a sudden the best in the country. And then, of course, you take that overseas, you know, wanting to take on the Germans, <laughs> the Italians <laughs> in rowing and everything else. And you just want to beat them, you know, and the Brits. I think that that mentality, as stupid as it sounds, it's instilled in me from such a young age of success that I don't really care who I'm racing. I just want to beat them and I believe I can. Um, and, um, and that's sort of... I think having that mindset, in uh, especially when I've changed sports, it's just where I, I want to be. I, I, I say that's my that's the standard I set of myself that I want to achieve. Yeah, and I and I really think that's what it comes from. It's just uh, in in my youth, you know, I just grew up just knowing that level, and um, and I just took it as you went through the <laughs> through the ranks, just to a to a bigger scale. When people say to me, "Oh, look, it's." You know, I just won my age group. Oh, but it's nothing like what you're doing. I say, hey, hey, it is. It's actually identical. You know, it's all relative. And and I know exactly the feel. It's it's the same feeling. It's all it's all relative to the to the to the environment that you're in. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating how how passionate you are still are and how how much energy you have and and fun. Obviously, what you're doing. I think this is key that you have to like what you do and then the matter the, the age is probably uh, not the, the most important it's just a number and if, if you're still healthy and fit and if your your family is okay with everything and and you you feel that you are still competitive I think this why not yeah I mean obviously when I stopped cycling the first time I moved to the US and wanted to work in finance and do all that you know yeah okay I could have done that but yeah, I didn't I ended up back in sport And so if you come back at that point, then you kind of got to, like what Tony Hawk's documentary, Till the Wheels Fall Off. It's, it's a bit like that, you know, you not that you want to go until you start going like this, but you, I'm just going to give it everything I've got, you know, until I feel like I can't get any better, you know, and maybe that'll be a bit of a plateau at some level and I'll be doing everything I can to stay there. Ideally, that's if I get to the top, top. <laughs> <laughs> and I can hang on to that for a couple more years. Um, but, um, you know, I'm not going to just hang around for the sake of it. But, you know, I, I came back and I made a commitment now to be sort of silly not to see it through. I feel like, you know, I've still got things I want to do. The people that support me are, still believe there's, you know, especially, you know, the team, obviously, and, and the guys at Nike on the running side, you know, they're incredibly motivated and supportive always to try and find ways to help me improve. Um, and, um, and obviously that, yeah, I, I just don't, even, I can't, I don't have time to worry about my age because <laughs> it doesn't help anyway. It's not like I can turn up to the start line on Sunday and say, oh guys, by the way, I'm almost double the age of a few of you. So can I just maybe, can I just swim out to the first boy or maybe the second boy, maybe give me two boys head start and then we'll start the race, you know? No one asked for your passport on the start line. <laughs> so yeah. I remember someone told me that, you know, when I went to the Olympics and I was the youngest and everyone was saying, oh, you're so young, you know, so it's great for the experience. Don't worry, you know, blah, blah, blah. You've got so many ahead of you. I've never been again. You know, a friend of mine who, who had won the Olympic gold medal, he said, don't listen to them. No one asked for your passport on the start line. Go out there and try and win, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're the youngest or the oldest. No one cares. It's uh, you, you're there to try and win the world title. So, um, and that's that's the mindset I've taken through my whole career. Same with experience. You know, I've come into sport. You know, it's oh gosh, you came from rowing. You know, in cycling, it's like, well, yeah, okay, that's great, and it's something to talk about. But at the end of the day, none of my rivals are going to give me a head start because I haven't done any as many bike races as them. <laughs> and the same went for triathlon. You know, I mean. It's, um, yeah, you're new to the sport, etc. but who cares? You, you front up to Kona in your first year and you're leading the race. I mean, everyone wanted to just get past me. No one thought, oh, gosh, he's, it's his first time and he's only his first year. That, that's let him have it. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's the same with age. If you put yourself on the start line, it just doesn't matter. You're just there as another competitor. Do you think that the way how you structured your, your year or your past few years that you 
you're you're picking uh, good de good destinations for training different destinations uh, that this helps you to to keep that that motivation and also that spirit uh, within you like you're living and moving to Andorra then in, during winter time you are spending quite some weeks in California in the LA area LA area so I think this is, could also I could imagine that this is also uh, the key to success for you to to be motivated and and don't really see it as a job but just as a passion and and yeah. uh, what you you like what you do there's no doubt and I think everyone knows I'm not just saying this I love doing what I I love ex I love training and I love being in stimulating environments. I mean, Andorra, for one, living here, you know, I can't for a second, you know, get complacent. I mean, there's just phenomenal athletes. You know, obviously now up, living up there, you know, Hayden Wild trains with me almost every day. Um, obviously, I've got the guys from the team. Um, you know, Lucy Giles actually talking about moving up. Hay Hay Hayden's uh, girlfriend, Hannah's there as well. He's had a, a buddy of his, a top runner. You know, I mean, he's he's running 330s for the 1500 top five in the world. Sammy Tanner, he's been there with us too. Um, and that's just my little group. And then obviously the team. And then you've got all the MotoGP guys. You've got, it's just a very stimulating environment. You know, it's just a, an environment that is successful, a very successful environment. And when you go to races and you don't want to suck, you don't want to have to come back to Andorra and not having done, you know, a good job, you know, being, being performing at a very high level. And and Andorra and uh, in LA, it's the same thing. I mean, it's Hollywood. You know, it's a, it's a town of. I've got some great friends there. I mean, I've just I've recently become friends with a few of the Rams footballers. You know, just after they've won the Super Bowl. Um, it's just a. And when you're training there, you know, you're out in Malibu. You know, you've seen all these things on TV. You know, in the movies, and you can look out over the city. I mean, it's one of the most densely populated cities in the world, and yet, you know, Geraint Thomas and I can be out in the mountains and five six hours you don't even see a car we do a five or six hour loop all through the hollywood hills up to the sign i mean it's just every day is exciting you know it's stimulating and you and you can almost bank on you're going to see something exciting out there something interesting is going to happen you're going to run into someone at the coffee shop you know we see jolly miley cyrus at the, at the coffee shop or something i mean it's just it's just a very stimulating place and and I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, obviously, I choose to sort of move around the world at different times of the year to make sure that I can train properly. I mean, I love being here in winter too because it's quite unique to be able to get up at sunrise, ski mow up the mountain just across from where I live and, you know, watch the sun sort of pop up and then ski down and then go to the pool and then go for a ride. You know, you get to the end of a day like that and you go, wow, like, God, what a day. You know, how lucky am I? Yeah, and then, of course, Australia. I mean, because of covid and having the you know white at that time and all the restrictions with um, quarantine, etc. We we haven't been able to get back there at all. Well, just haven't made the time. Um, but this summer we will, and I'm really excited about that too because a summer in Australia is incredible. You know, I mean, everyone knows about you know the summer of sport. We've got the tour down under. We've got you know the Cadell, Cadell Evans race, obviously. But there's also the crickets on the Australian Open tennis at the same time. You know, summer in Australia is like summer in Europe. You know place really comes alive you know and particularly in that area melbourne adelaide um and tassie is just a awesome place to train i mean it's uh yeah it, you just feel like you're you're a bit of a tough guy down there like, you know, like i'm never having to force myself to go out training and nor do i ever feel like i'm missing out on anything because i am training you know i think that's the other key you know you as you especially as you get older and family and different things if you're your environment is such that you just feel like you're sacrificing all the time and you're missing out on this and you're missing out on that. I feel like in all those places, I mean, okay, White's only three. When he goes to school, things might be different, but that's probably a couple of years away. It's it's all a part of what I do, you know, and I have a very balanced life doing it. And, uh, and I think that's also important. You know, you don't have people around you guilting you because, you know... <laughs> I decided to do the Everest challenge on a random Sunday, you know, and I'm gone all day. <laughs> so, um... Great. Is there something if you just could think of, or was this ever in your mind that you think, what if I would not be a professional athlete? What, what profession would it be uh, in the year 2023? You mentioned before you've been into the finance business uh, for a couple of years. Yeah. What, what do you dream of something or think, okay, I, I don't miss that at all? Or 
Do you have thoughts like that yeah. or not at all? I, to be honest, I mean, the only I honestly love what I do. I mean, this is what I've always wanted to do, um, and uh, especially doing two sports. But and I wouldn't trade that for anything. I think, well, anything. I say that one thing I've thought of recently, and just following it more, you know, with things like Drive to Survive, these documentaries on NFL, even you know the all or nothing, like on you know Manchester City with Pep Guardiola, reading some books, different things. I would love to be in charge of a big sporting, you know, like a big team, you know, like, and I don't even care what sport, whether it's baseball or an owner. I mean, that would obviously mean you're very successful financially too. So I guess that would be the dream that you owned, um, you know, probably, yeah, yeah, Manchester United or, or Liverpool or Barcelona Football Club or Real Madrid or, you know, the LA Rams football team or the LA Lakers, you know. Like a big sporting organization, the Yankees, <laughs> some sort of very, uh, very prominent, you know, in, you know, role, you know, decision making role, you know, very much uh, responsible for the success of that club. I would love to be in a position like that. I would like that. Watching that, like Toto Wolf, you know, with the F1 or Christian Horner. Um, I, I admire those guys. Dave Brailsford won, obviously. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a, like a, a legendary operator. Um, I mean, even oh, oh Pat Pat Lefebvre. I mean, he's made you know the way he he keeps his team in the in the headlines. You know, but what I love about him is often it's been critical of his guys. And <laughs> there's so little of it in the sport that the media eats that up. But all the time. He's keeping his team prominent. You know, you can never be, you can never not talk about Quickstep because um, the way he, you know, can conveys to the to the media and and it's and it's fantastic. You know, I, I admire that. I mean, we've got obviously got Rod Ellingworth running running the team now, and he's he's certainly a bit more, you know, low key. Just loves just he's incredible at recruiting. He's an incredible operator and just likes to. You know, sit there and not be, you know, out out in front of people and uh, and do his thing. And I admire that approach too. You know, um, there was a guy, Rod kind of reminds me of like an Al Heyman in boxing. I mean, he was he was the guy behind Floyd Mayweather. He sort of orchestrated Mayweather's career. You know, picked and chose his opponents at the right time. And but no one ever heard of Al Heyman. You know, yet he was one of the most influential people in uh, in boxing. So I guess Rod's sort of more. You know, as far as this team's success over so many years, he's um, he sort of kept a quieter role, but had an, an incredible amount, obviously, of, of influence and and uh, responsibility for the success in the dynasty of the team. But yeah, so that would be the one thing, I guess. I, I'd love to be, you know, in charge of a big sporting organization. That would be. Uh, I really admire those those guys at the top of that. It, it's uh, it's really cool. That's really interesting. I I wouldn't have thought about that, but that's really interesting that you have this kind of uh, thoughts and and uh, dreams still. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the financing is obviously the easy one. I mean, yeah. now I get more and more people approaching me, wanting me to do stuff, um, and now even more so. You know, people are really getting. You know, I guess as you do, even if it is five years away from when I'm dedicated full time to maybe a professional career outside of sport um, but uh, you know that that type of finance world is is pretty keen on athletes um, but yeah if I could say that there was one thing that someone came and offered me that would sort of stop me in my tracks and sort of change my life you know uproot the family potentially move to America for example if it was the LA Rams you know running a team like that or the Lakers I'd be like Pierre yeah, owning it that'd be that'd be pretty amazing <laughs> awesome uh, towards the end of our conversation i want to ask you one question about uh sunday again so mm -hmm. when at the finish you've done the race uh what result or performance uh would you be happy about achieving on sunday what 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 would we what would satisfy you it's so cliche isn't it that you just say you do your best but it's the truth i mean I have a, I obviously have a visualization and dream that my best will be the guy that crossed the line first. So the combination of those two would be <laughs> the ideal outcome. But um, you know, if I've if I've hit every marker that I wanted to and had the race I I sort of have, have prepared for, and I'm beaten, <laughs> it is what it is. There's better people. I you know you you can only control what you can control. 
Um, obviously, you can try and influence what they do a bit with your own actions and, and throw them off their guard. But um, yeah, it's the reality is, you know, yeah, um, at this level, you give it everything you got and um, and get it right. Let's see where where that lands. But a combination of both would obviously be the the best. But um, as long as I finish that race knowing that I gave it everything I had and got out all the work that I'd put in and, you know, Castelli had put in and, you know, Pinarello put in, the team put in, Nike, all these people around me, you know, support me on this on this journey, obviously my family, etc. You know, that's that's to me the most important thing is being able to look them in the eye and and, um, and, and know that uh, between us that I've given it everything I had and, and, and nothing more can be asked of you and that, that's... You know, it's not. It is just about me when I'm out there, without a doubt. You know, it's all all the lights are on you. You know, you're on your own. No one can help you once you're out there. But to me, the most important thing is later on being able to, you know, look at the people in the eye that have been there for you over <laughs> so many years. We've been working together for what six years now. You know, five years. It's a long time. Um, six years, I think. And um, and everyone I work with has has been there that time. You know, it's I have not changed partners in anything that I've done the whole period and uh so um to me that's really important is um is is you guys genuinely feeling that uh i've given it everything in return for all the efforts you guys have put in i will definitely watch the race closely and i am keen on what you keen to see what you have been what you will be capable of doing and then uh i wish you all the best for sunday for race day and then hopefully you will be a happy man at the finish well hopefully a lot of us will be happy yeah <laughs> Kevin thanks a lot yeah. for talking to us and then all the best again for, for Sunday pleasure thanks very much appreciate thank it thank you anytime thank Cheers. you